Today, I want to do my best to continue this conversation on friendships, on the importance of seeking out, cultivating, and maintaining friendships by, and I'm just going to admit this right off the bat, just right off the bat, and make it very clear. I am shamelessly borrowing most of my message from a sermon given by a pastor and a theologian by the name of Tim Keller. So I just want to be completely honest with that because as I've been studying this and this whole topic, I, I ran across this message and I was like, oh, that's some good stuff. And then as I began creating the content for this series, I'm like, Man, that's just really too good not to, to share. And so I'm shamelessly borrowing most of my message from a sermon given by Pastor Tim Keller on this idea of friendship. So uh, I tell you that for two reasons. One, uh, I don't want to pass off today's message as being something primarily of my own doing, okay? Just that, that's clear, because that would be lying. Uh, second, <laughs> and this is the most important, if you happen not to like today's message, uh, don't be mad, because it's not mine. So, <laughs> Last week, we talked about the necessity of sacrifice in the building of friendships, if you remember, and we looked at two verses in the book of Proverbs that gave wisdom on this topic. In particular, we camped on the illustration of friendship that Proverbs gives in Proverbs chapter 27 when it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And Proverbs is a wonderful place to learn about the importance of friendships because all throughout the book of Proverbs, there is this constant theme that you will not live wise unless you are good at choosing, forging, and keeping great friendships. You will not live wise. You will not, maybe to put it in, in everyday terms, you will not actually be successful at life. You will not get all that life has to offer you, to use maybe not so spiritual terms. However you want to put it, but it's, Proverbs tells us this, if you are not good at choosing, forging, and keeping great friendships, your life will not be all that it should be, or as we like to say, all that we believe God wants your life to be. The problem is that the realities of our everyday lives in predominant culture, and the, you know, really the prominent cultures, because there's more than one, that fill the world we live in, we live in, keep us, they keep us from believing that friendships are important. If not with our mind, then definitely with our heart. In his essay regarding the subject of friendship, uh, C.S. Lewis has this book called The Four Loves. I don't know if any of you have read it. It's really, really short. Uh, it's really about the four different kinds of love, eros, um, phileo, all the different. It's a really, really good read. You should read it. But in his essay regarding the subject of friendship, C.S. Lewis writes this uh, as part of the four loves, he talks about the friendship love. He says this, to the ancients, friendships seem the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. In modern day, traditional and conservative cultures, maybe you grew up in this, you would know that the most important relationship is Probably what? Family. Yes, said the older generation, right? You get, right? That's the most important. It's your siblings. It's your parents. It's your blood relatives. Maybe you don't come from a traditional and conservative, you know, modern day culture. Maybe you come from a more socialistic or uh, uh, human, humanistic or humanitarian culture. 
And in that culture, the most important relationship are the civic ones, right? It's your neighbors. It's the people in your community. This is the most important thing. But one of the most common cultures of today is kind of this, and, and don't get caught on the, how this sounds political, because it's not. This is more from the sociological standpoint, but it's, it's, it's one of more of that liberal individualism, which, which really places romantic love or erotic love or sexual love first. For example, uh, if we were to write a list of all the songs that have to do with love, right? In, in the past 10 years, think of all the music that has ever been written in the past 10 years, put that in the list, categorize, if, if it's been written about love, put it in one section. And then in another side, let's make another list of all the songs that have been written about friendships, right? In fact, I say that and all of us are probably thinking of only two songs, <laughs> right? Toy Story or James Taylor, right? <laughs> you got a friend in me, all right? Winter, sing, summer, or fall. All you gotta do is call. You've gotta, right? That's it. That's it. And why, why do we do this? This is because every culture, every culture, whether it looks like this individualistic or maybe it's from a civic or, you know, humanitarian or maybe it's traditional conservative, no matter what your culture you come from, every culture will put friendship in the backseat of things to pursue. And the reason is logical, right? It kind of makes sense. Think about it. Friendship is not biological or sociological in, of necessity. We don't need friendships biologically or sociologically, really. This is why you'll see loners, like, they're fine. They don't have any friends. They're still living, right? People are still creating babies without any friends. But friendship is the only kind of relationship that is deliberate, if you think about it. It will not push itself on you. In the same essay I mentioned earlier, C.S. Lewis goes on to say, friendship is the least instinctive, it's the least organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary. It has least commerce with your physical systems or nervous systems. There is nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red or pale. And if your friendship turns you red or pale, you have probably found yourself out of the friend zone in that weird, awkward, I think I like you now, right? So anyways, but there's nothing really weird about friendship, not like it is with maybe Eros or some of these other things. In other words, if it wasn't for erotic relationships, right, you and I wouldn't exist. <laughs> Don't think about that too long. If it wasn't for familial relationships, you and I would have never been raised, right? We need family to, to be raised. If it wasn't for civic relationships, we would never be safe from things like crime or oppression. So what happens in the busy culture that you and I live in is that all kinds of relationships other than friendships end up pushing themselves on you. You have to deal with your family, right? You have to. Why? Because it's your family, you have to have civic relationships, right? You have to have vocational networking to have a job. And for many of you, there is an intrinsic desire for romantic relationships that will always make itself aware to you 
It will push itself seemingly on you. This is why we say things like, I saw her and I just, what, fell in love. I couldn't, what, help it, right? It was like it was almost meant to be. The question is, though, what does Scripture, right? Because we're here, it's Sunday, and we're a body of believers who look to the Scripture, who look to the model of the gospel through Jesus Christ for our lives. And what does Scripture have to say about this? Well, Proverbs, as I said, we'll be looking at a a few chapters, mostly around Proverbs 17 through 26. So if you need to write these down, that's fine. But Proverbs 18.24, Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I find myself both agreeing with it, but also disagreeing with it. Anyone else? Like the idea that a friend sticks closer than a brother or sister, right? I kind of agree with it, but then part of me is like, I don't know, like, you know, I mean, like family, nothing, you know. Nothing's thicker than blood, as they say. What's even more amazing about what is written here in Proverbs is that this phrase, that a friend sticks closer than a brother, is written in a far more family-oriented culture than today, if you think about it. So why would this idea that a friend is better than a sibling be considered wise? Why would it be considered wisdom. Well, in Proverbs 17, 17, it says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. Friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a difficult time. In other words, your family will be there for you in adversity. When things get complicated, when life throws its worst at you, that's what your family is there for. But Your family may not like you. You may not be the first person that they think of when they want to go grab a drink, or they may not necessarily want to hang out with you in their spare time. A brother is born for adversity, but a friend loves at all times. Because a friend is unique in comparison to familial relationships. Because a friend, listen, is someone who has chosen you. This is why the Proverbs say in 1824, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you take a look at the Hebrew words for sticks, what makes this even more interesting is that the Hebrew word for sticks here is often a word that is used to to, uh, describe cleaving. In this old phrase called cleaving, which means a commitment out of a passionate love. And so the scripture is trying to help us understand that there is a unique necessity of friendship that no other kind of relationship can bring. This is why we're talking about friendships. But there's a problem, right? Because in every culture, friendship gets put in the back seat. Many people in our culture today walk around saying things like, well, I am who I choose to be, right? I am who I choose to be. The problem is 
that the truth is you're not who you choose to be. In fact, uh, follow me with this. In the early stages of your life, you are what your family formed you and shaped you to be. And then for the rest of your life, you are what your friends make you because it is your community of friendships that forms you and shapes you. This is why we believe very much so as a local church that community matters. And this is why the book of Proverbs says that of the wisdom of friendship over and over again about how love between friends brings something in your life that is unique and necessary to live wisely. It's also why the book of Proverbs also communicates the ongoing message, if you read the book of Proverbs, that fools perish for lack of friends. You ever heard that phrase, fools perish for lack of friends, or for poorly chosen friends? You'll find that all throughout the book of Proverbs. It's a constant theme. Woe to who? <laughs> woe, to the, woe to this person, right? And so that's one point. There's a unique and necessity. There's a, there's a unique necessity of friendship that no other kind of relationship can bring. There's a unique, unique necessity of friendship that no other kind of relationship can bring. And if you can consent or maybe at a minimum concede to that principle, if you can in your mind, maybe you don't believe that or you're still like, I don't know where you're going with this. The question that begs to be answered is this, then how then, how then does a person forge friendships, right? How do we make Friends, I know, Phil, there's a book that I read once called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Is that what you're going to be telling us today? No, that's a good book. It's okay. But today we're going to be looking at how the scripture, primarily as we give like a basic overview of the book of how Proverbs would tell us friendships are forged. Now, if you were to sum up what the book of Proverbs has to say about what it takes to forge true friendships, you could boil them down to maybe basically three different things. Or you can look at them maybe as basic blocks to, uh, to, 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 to be a, a structure within which to look at, to build meaningful friendships. And what are those three things? Well, first one is sacrifice. We talked about that last week. The second is awareness. And the last is candor. Now, last week we talked about this idea of sacrifice and friendship. I'm not going to talk about it again. For some reason you missed last week or maybe you happened to be serving in our kids' ministry, you'll have to go catch that message online. You can go to our website or find literally on every podcast platform. If you search Clarity Church, you'll find our messages so you can find it. But just in case you weren't here, if to sum up in one sentence, I guess you could say that the scripture teaches that the heart of sacrifice and friendship is choosing to invest incredible and deliberate amounts of intentionally spent time over time with the person you're choosing to be a friend with. That's what the Proverbs means when it says in Proverbs 20 verse, 27 verse 17 is iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens iron. And we don't have time to remember the whole illustration I brought out all my sharpening stuff. Remember, <laughs> it takes a while. So first thing, sacrifice. That's what a friend, that's what true friendship looks like. And by the way, a fair-weathered friend is not a friend at all. Something your mom probably told you. But the second thing required if you want to pursue friendship with wisdom is awareness. And I want to just read three different verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 26, 
18 to 19, Proverbs 27, 14, and Proverbs 25. And it, it, I'll just read these, and then we'll talk about that for just a second. So it goes like this, Proverbs 26, verse 18 to 19. Like a madman who throws flaming darts and deadly arrows, so is the person who deceives his neighbor and says, <laughs> I was only joking. Proverbs 27, verse 14. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, sounds like every Sunday, Phil, sorry, it will be counted as a curse to him. Proverbs 25, 20. Singing songs to a troubled heart is like taking off clothing on a cold day or like pouring vinegar on soda. So let's stop here for a second. When it comes to understanding how awareness fits into this idea of forging true friendships, we have to ask ourselves a couple questions, especially in light of what we just read. The first is this. <laughs> why, why does a man deceive his neighbor and say, I was only joking? Like, What brings a person to willingly deceive their neighbor and be like, oh, oh I, I, was just, uh, I was just joking? Second, why does a man who loudly blesses his neighbor in the morning be counted as a curse? Why would, why would that be a, why would that be counted as a curse? Someone who loudly blesses his neighbor in the morning. And then third, what's the deal about singing songs to a troubled heart? That just sounds weird. Wouldn't you want to sing songs to a troubled heart? I don't know. You know, whenever I hear Ann sing, my troubled heart just gets better, right? That's what Dan told me. He's like, no, no. By the way, the word songs here in the original language is, is a phrase used to describe songs of joy. And, you know, when, it, when, it, when I learned that, I'm like, well, that, why did they just, the translators write that? Well, I don't know. Anyways. So the question is this. Why is singing songs of joy to someone who has a troubled heart compared to the shock of taking off clothes on a cold day? Anyone ever done the polar, polar plunge, right? Like, why is, why is singing songs of joy compared to that shock to the system? Or, or it uses the other illustration of the instantaneous and messy. Some of you have done this science project yourself at the volcano. It's pretty messy. Why does it compare this to the messy and instantaneous reaction of vinegar poured on baking soda? Why? I'll tell you why. It's, here is a man who is unaware, who is socially and emotionally disconnected. This is a man who doesn't take the time to consider or be socially aware enough to realize that this joke is actually hurting someone. This is a man who isn't aware enough, hasn't taken the time to study to or or really deeply get to know what kind of morning person his neighbor is or maybe lack thereof because it's the most wise and aware thing to consider your neighbor this is a man who isn't aware enough to understand that if a person could stay happy in the presence of a sad friend that person is not a friend. For those of you who are parents, you get this. 
there is this saying that the, the essence of parenting is this. Once you start to have children, you, rest, you realize that the rest of your life, as long as you live, you are as happy as your unhappiest child. Those of you who are parents, you get that. Why? Because automatically, whether you want to or not, a loving parent is emotionally connected to their child, right? You are emotionally vulnerable to the things that touches your child. And you can't sing songs when their hearts are troubled. Trust me, I've tried. (laughs) It doesn't go very well, right? And I can tell you from experience that my kids don't think of me as being very fatherly in that moment when my reaction to them is not responsive, is emotionally connected, is aware of where they are at, right? Don't nod your head too much. That makes me feel bad now. So. Talking to my son, for those of you online. <laughs> so here's what's so unique and scary about friendships. In friendships, you give the gift of emotional connection. Unlike a parent, you give it voluntarily. This is how you know whether or not the people around you are true friends, by the way. If they are so emotionally connected and aware that they can't go about singing songs of joy when your heart is trouble, then they're a true friend. When they can't go about their job, when you and your life is collapsing, guess what? That's a true friend. It makes sense for a parent to have that kind of emotional connection and awareness. But listen, it's amazing for a friend to do that because it is a voluntary gift. A friend creates that emotional connection as a gift and chooses to be unbelievably emotionally aware of you, of how you're feeling. They're reading the moment. A friend is not using you for what you can do for them, but rather is committed to your emotional flourishing because he or she cannot flourish without your emotional flourishing as well. That's a true friend. So forging true friendships requires sacrifice and awareness, but it also requires candor. Candor. Proverbs 27, 16 says this, wounds from a sincere friend, we read this last week, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Now, Remember last week when we looked at this, we focused on how sacrifice in friendship requires us to not be easily what? Offended, right? Not easily offended because why? Wounds from a friend is a metaphor that means, well, first of all, that friends wound. Like friends actually wound. So if you understand that reality, you should not be so offended by your friends when they wound you. But even more so, Wounds from a friend is a metaphor for words that your friend needs uh, to say to you that are actually going to be painful for you to hear, but they have to be said. Phil, what if I'm afraid to say what really needs to be said? (laughs) 
well, then you're probably not a friend. Before you get offended and think I'm reading too much into this, let's just look at the parallelism of verse 5 and 6. Because in this moment, there is immediately a response to what we see in Scripture and what we feel in our flesh. And I think it's sometimes very helpful for us before we embrace our flesh to just look at what Scripture has to say. Proverbs 26 Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says this, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So, if you study Hebrew poetry, this is how you look at it. There's a second clause here in verse 5 that talks about hidden love, right? Which is another metaphor for a person who thinks they're being loving by hiding the truth. This is the equivalent of someone saying, Oh, I love that person too much to confront or tell the truth. But then look at what is parallel to in verse 6. Hiding the truth out of love in verse 5 is the same as the work of an enemy in verse 6. It's just as bad, if we can put it in terms maybe that you're more familiar with, it's just as bad as Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. Now why is this? Because if you say, oh, I love that person too much to tell them the truth, what you really mean is, I actually love myself too much to go through what that would look like. And that selfishness means that you are not being a friend. Now, to balance that out, Proverbs 29, 5 says this, a person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. The one who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. On the other side, if you instead of having candor with your friend so they can get an accurate view of both their strengths and their weaknesses, you decide to use words that you really don't mean, you are setting them up for harm as you would do if you were to set their foot inside of a bear trap. Anyone seen a bear trap, right? If your foot gets stuck in a bear trap, I pretty much guarantee you're walking away with some harm. I don't know. I'm not a hunter, but I've seen those. And I think they cause them harm. And why is this? Because, because so-called friends will make their decisions based on who they think they are. And they will be making uh, one disastrous decision after another because they're out of touch with reality. Because you have been feeding them words of flattery. And by the way, you've probably noticed how hard it is to embrace the imbalance of, really to embrace the balance of awareness and candor, right? Because candor, on one hand, is telling the truth, but awareness is being so emotionally connected that the painful words you share will also create pain for you. And really, this is why it's hard to be a friend. This is why it's hard to be a friend. Because we have to be both aware, but we also have to have candor, right? See, you started off, I like all the stuff about being aware and being emotionally sensitive and making sure that I don't hurt the people's feelings and be able to read the room and can, can tell when I should, you know, be able to say this and say that. And now you're telling me I have to have candor? Make up your mind! Ah, well, it's not me. It's first scripture. And then, remember I told you in the beginning, it's not my message, so... Here's the thing. You can either be aware 
and just keep your mouth shut. Or you could be candid and not really care. We all know people who are both, right? Oh, I'm afraid to offend. Hi. (laughs) Nice shirt. Good to see him. Or, you know what? I just need to be honest with you. I don't care. I don't care. I'm speaking the truth in love, and I just want to tell you, I want to tell you, you are such a this and that, and you know, you're, you're going to be, you know what, stop crying, you know, because I mean, this is the truth, and the truth is set free. I don't say right. Right? We know people who do both, don't we know? Don't we know people who choose one or the other? And listen, reason why people choose one or the other, because either way isn't painful, and either way isn't friendly. But to be a friend is constant pain because you have to be both aware and you have to be candid. I know, by the way, because you're also committed to sacrifice, (laughs) this means you're committed to do this over and over and over and over again. When you feel like quitting, sacrifice says, keep going. Keep going. It's so hard. I'm dying to myself. I'm sacrificing. It's so painful. That's okay. Sacrifice says we do it again. Why? Because iron, iron sharpens iron. So that's what makes a true friend. Sacrifice, awareness, candor. And if you find somebody who's got that common affinity with you, that believes in that sacrifice, awareness, and candor, guess what? You have... A friend. Now, here's the part where, you know, I could pray and get done early, but y'all know me better than that. I never get done early. Uh, And we could just kind of say, all right, go, do that. Be aware, uh, have candor, and make sure you sacrifice. Go and do likewise. Go do what the Bible says. But I want to tell you that we have a bigger problem, perhaps, than maybe some of you recognize. And if you don't recognize it, let me help you along. If you read these verses and you begin to get a picture of a true friend, an ideal friend, a friend that always gives you the truth, even though the friend is experiencing pain in doing so, a friend who sticks, who cleaves to you and is faithful to you so, so you never are ruined. A friend who is emotionally connected and takes a walk in your shoes, chooses empathy day after day after day. When you read the description of a true friend, you'll find two things that happen inside of you. Just like it happened to me when I first heard this message, which is the reason why I wanted to share this with you or reshare. On one hand, you hear these things and there's a longing, isn't there? There's a longing. There's a longing for that. I mean, who doesn't want friendships where there's sacrifice, awareness, and candor? Who doesn't want that? One of the reasons why there is such a feeling of longing is because we live in a culture in which our friends are taken away from us faster then we can forge them. It's called mobility, right? 
Not only do we have less time in which to forge two friendships because, on, you know, because they move, but we're also very what? I'm just too busy. Some of you already know that. Some of you are going like, I gotta get to lunch. Uh, we're busy. Busy, busy people. But outside of that, our friends, they what? They move away. They go to Texas. No guilt trip, but if it works to make you stay, I'll take it. I know it won't. They move away. Or maybe they're taken away. Right? And as a result, we don't have all the friends our hearts need because of the realities of the world we live in. On the other hand, the other response when reading about this profile of true friendship is not only a feeling of longing, and maybe not for you, but this is definitely for me. There's a feeling of being overwhelmed. There's almost this crushing sense of obligation that this requirement of friendship demands of us. Do you know why it's overwhelming? Because when you measure yourself according to this standard, you begin to realize that one of the reasons we do not have the friends that our heart needs and desires is not because of our terribly mobile society, but it's because we aren't the friends we should be. I'm not the friend that I should be. I don't have the great friends my heart needs. You don't have the great friends your heart needs because at the end of the day, we aren't great friends. We don't have people who are giving us this stuff because we are not giving this stuff. Because it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, how easy is it for you to be? How easy is it for you to be transparent, to re, you know, to really open up and let a person in? And I'm like one of the most on, like transparent people I know. Jeff often calls me hyper honest. It still stinks. I don't like you knowing my stuff. And you know, I, I'm one of those people that are like, oh, everybody makes fun of Phil. He's so easygoing about it. I'll tell you what. I'll just tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. But don't let it change it because it feels pretty endearing now that we're doing it nowadays. But every time, every time someone makes fun of me, it hurts. Every every time someone's like, oh, Phil, you know, you're so forgetful. <laughs> I'm like, that hurts. I don't want to be forgetful. Phil, you're so you're you're not really you're kind of clumsy and you always lose your stuff. I don't want to lose my stuff. I don't want to, I don't want you to know that about me. I don't want you, you know, Phil, you're such a mess. You're so messy. Like, well, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Can't get over that one. How easy is it for you to give the gift of emotional vulnerability and connection? It's hard. And sometimes you're just afraid. So the question is, where are we going to get that power to be friends? To be the kind of friend we need to be. To have the friends we need to have. Because that's actually the most important question. The answer is found in something that we talked about last week. The answer is found in something Jesus said the night before he would be beaten and crucified, left for dead and placed in a tomb. 
In fact, in John chapters 14 to 17, you find Jesus desperately trying to explain to his disciples what he was about to do. And then one of the things he says to try to explain what he's going to do when he dies is this. He says this, remember, in, in chapter 15, he goes, Tonight, I no longer call you servants, but tonight I call you what? Friends. Now, love one another as I love you. I am laying down my life for my what? Friends. When Jesus said that, suddenly the whole history of the world could be understood in terms of friendship. Think about this. God was a friendship. The Christian God, to be clear. The God found in the scriptures is a friendship of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, knowing and loving one another. Therefore, he made us in his image. Meaning, we need friendships. Remember in Genesis 3 when it talks about how God came walking in the cool of the garden to speak and to be with Adam and Eve? Walking with someone is the Hebrew metaphor for guess what? Friendship. This means that God made us for friendship with him and made us for friendship with one another. The problem is, <laughs> God was good, but we messed up, right? We turned from him. And do you know what usually happens when you betray a friend? What happens when you betray a friend? Usually, what does that friend do? Turns on you, right? That's what makes sense in this world. But Jesus Christ tells us through his cross, I am the ultimate friend. I am the one in your betrayal who chooses sacrifice. I am the one in your rebellion. I am the one who will cleave to you. When you push me away, I will cling to you at the infinite cost of myself so that at the end you will not be ruined. At the end you can have salvation. In, 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 in the face of your rebellion and in your letting me down, I'm the ultimate friend whose wounds are actually wounds of love because instead of afflicting, inflicting them, I'm going to take wounds for you. <laughs> How much more emotional connection do you want from someone than what Jesus Christ has offered and offers to us? When you look at his arms nailed open for you, how much more open do you want Jesus to be? Because therein is the ultimate friend. And if you embrace Jesus and surrender your life to the friendship he offers that your heart desires, then this good news of Jesus will be good news that will find you having the kind of friends your heart needs. And you'll be able to live with wisdom.